G'day folks and welcome. I'm Chris Faber. And I'm TJ Stedman. And you're listening to the Answers to Giant Questions podcast coming to you from sunny Western Australia. It is the end of our first season. We're now 20 episodes in. It's been five months. Yeah, so what do you reckon, Chris? It's been quite a journey to this point. Knowing that this is our final episode for now, I'd just like to quote Darth Vader and go, No! Um, yes, it has been quite a journey, and it has been awesome to spend some time with you, Mr. Stedman, because we have known each other probably about half our lives, and uh, one of us has uh, less hair than the other, um, but other things have remained unchanged, including our love for the Word, and His will, and His people, um, and, and sharing the, the good news and getting the light out there. So I am continually impressed by the amount of research and the amount of work that you do, and, and right now you're wearing glasses, which makes you look even smarter. So well done, sir. <laughs> to, I'm just happy to ride on your luxurious coattails. So well done for all the work that you've done so far. Uh, well, thank you very much. That's, that's very kind. Yeah, well, it's it's certainly been uh, engaging and entertaining uh, for me anyway, getting involved in all the, the study and digging out all these different things to share with people and I really hope that it's been as enjoyable for our listeners as it has been for me. Yeah, really got a lot out of doing this season. Can't wait for the next one. Yeah, we should probably just have a little bit of a look back over the season yeah. uh, and talk about the stuff that we've explored over these uh, these last five months since we got started. Wow. Yeah, it's it's been a bit of a ride. And uh, I suppose we can sort of uh, summarise Genesis 1, uh, really by breaking down that, that first verse, you know, the one of the most well-known verses of the Bible, I suppose, the, the very first one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As we went through and we did our study, we, we started to get an appreciation for how there's just so much meaning in that initial statement that is kind of lost in our English translation because it's so rich and it's so meaningful and it's got this timeless quality about it that uh, it's just kind of hard for us to grasp and appreciate uh, until we start sort of digging around and looking at it a bit more. And then, of course, you just go further down the rabbit hole and find that there's so much more to uh, to explore and to learn. Uh, one of the interesting things that I th- thought was uh, a, a radical shift of perspective was looking at how certain translators started that sentence as... When God began, uh, guys like uh, Robert Alter do that in uh, in his translation, and there's some others as well. Yeah, that really helped to put that whole narrative in the context of a typical, and you know, really that's that's what it is a a creation story styled after the Mesopotamian creation traditions. Again, that's not to say that it's borrowed from other religions or, you know, stolen from the pagans or whatever, but, you know, it's a literary form and it's it's done in that style. You know, it'd be like if I wrote a, a limerick and I write the first two rhyming lines and then two shorter rhyming lines and then a third line that rhymes with the first two, that's me writing a limerick, but that's not me stealing it from somebody else or, you know, plagiarising. That's just following the convention of what makes a limerick. I think it's important to keep that perspective when we look at ancient texts and say, well, uh, just because they have a certain form and function and particular flow and certain literary features, that's not to say that there's some kind of literary dependency or borrowing or plagiarism going on from other previously known uh, texts. The idea of starting uh, Genesis 1 with when God began to create the heavens and the earth uh, really sets us up for uh, a much more expansive reading of Genesis 1 rather than have this summary statement or uh, a title or something like that. All these different alternatives have been suggested for how we should understand that first verse. And uh, Elohim, the name of God that we have there, that really uh, stood out, not because it's... uh, a special exclusive name of God. It's actually the opposite. It's like it's the most generic term you could have to talk about who God is. Really, God is essentially unnamed in Genesis 1 because Elohim can mean so many things. You can be talking about the 
spirits of dead people or lesser gods, angels, demons, perhaps even ghosts. There, there are so many ways to take that term Elohim. It takes a, a particular theological interpretation to put it in its rightful place and say, well, if this is our capital E Elohim, then he must be the God who represents or sort of speaks on behalf of divine counsel. He's the supreme God above all gods. He is king of kings, lord of lords, you know. Just that word Elohim by itself takes a lot of theology to get there. It's a very vague title. It's uh, enigmatic. There's a lot of mystery. And I think that's one of the the things that appeals about Genesis 1 because we like to try and talk about it like we, we know exactly what everything is and we're just going to put it out there and explain it and say, well, you know, it's very simple really, you know, here it is. I think there's actually a lot of mystery in Genesis 1 and, yeah, that term Elohim really lends itself to uh, a sense of mystery if we're prepared to engage our minds with it and just say, well, yeah, what do we know about God at this point? And that's one thing that I'm really looking forward to for our second season. When we get into Genesis 2, uh, we're going to be talking about another title for God and that's going to expand our understanding of who he is. Yeah, that's going to be a really good conversation to have uh, coming up. I think what I really liked as well in this series, when we've spent all this time talking about creation, we got pretty much halfway through the through the series of, of the podcast before we actually tackled that word that gets translated as created, the Hebrew word bara. I put a lot of time into exploring that term throughout the whole Bible to try and wrap my head around precisely what it means. And that was a really rewarding exercise because with over 50 uh, occurrences of the the term in various forms, uh, it really gave so much data that it was able to yield some meaningful results. And those results steered us well away from this idea that creation is just about sort of God says something and then some matter just goes poof and comes into existence out of nowhere. So I think that's the understanding that many of us have had traditionally. Certainly that's what I was growing up with. Spent my Sunday school years believing that there was a, just a, a, a vacuum or a, a nothingness. God starts talking and as he speaks, these things materialize and become a reality. And they weren't there before and you know they suddenly start to exist. And I guess it makes a lot of sense to think that way given the culture of the day because we're so empirically minded, we're very scientific and we like to talk about things in terms of uh, a material study of things. We want to know about what our five senses can tell us about stuff. And if that's the only lens that we're looking through, then we're going to be talking about existence in terms of a material ontology as opposed to to any other kind of view and when we look at uh, ancient cultures in general and ancient israelites are just another one of them so in particular the ancient israelites they had this idea that things didn't really exist until they had a purpose and a function and a name some part to play in a grander scheme and so existence for them wasn't about whether the material object was already there or or not it was about what does this thing do what is it for why is it here who's in charge of it and answering those questions gave something a reason to exist and so bringing things into being was sort of talked about in terms of bringing the universe into order so we came to understand that this word created that we have in our english bible really should mean uh, caused to exist in a functional sense by means of appointing function or purpose to something that already exists in a material sense by God himself or by his agent. Viewing it in that light helps to make sense of the instances where we see that term bara being used by people that are not God. Because I've noticed that a lot of discussions around the term bara seem to exclude that data. They only want to talk about God as the as the object, which that's actually an inconsistent reading because that's not the case uh, in at least five cases in the scripture. So yeah, accounting for those is important and I think it helps to fill out the bigger picture of what that term actually means and how we should be reading it. 
in the text. And then, of course, we looked at the heavens and the earth. You know, the, the heavens is probably the part that we've overlooked the most in our culture these days because we've had uh, all kinds of discussion over how we're supposed to understand the heavens. Are we talking about outer space? Are we talking about the sky? Um, if there's a firmament, is it real or not? Uh, what's this supposed barrier between the earth and whatever's beyond our, our sky? That conversation has become yeah, largely dominated by material concerns and we had that whole flat earth debate and everything uh, with people talking about some kind of a solid dome up there separating the atmosphere from outer space and you've even got people questioning whether space is real and you know god's on the other side of the firmament and the moon landing was fake and all the rest of it um so yeah some interesting discussions were had there and uh to me i think that was one of the most significant things that we did on the podcast was spend a couple of episodes talking about the nature of the firmament and how to understand that. Uh, I really hope that that made a difference for people who are curious about that and have a listen. Uh, as, yeah, we did spend two episodes going through and we talked about how the terminology around the firmament comes out of uh, poetic literature that is making a point that isn't necessarily derived from dictionary definition of the terms in use. So, yeah, that, that was an interesting experience to go through and look at the different terms, look at how they're used, look at the point being made, and then ask the question, well, does this material understanding of the firmament stand up to the terminology in use that describes it? So we've, we've found some interesting things there. And I think it's just kind of telling that all this confusion about the nature of the universe and the firmament and the, the air up there uh, really reflects that, that mankind has stopped looking upward for answers. You know, we... Uh, we live in a culture today that's really focused on what we can grasp with our hands. And we don't spend much time in contemplation, laying our hearts bare before God. Uh, you know, for some of us, particularly those who are more inclined to, uh, to take the time for prayer and for worship and for pleading with God over the serious issues of life, that might be something you still do. You go outside, look up at the stars and talk to God but I think for many of us today that that uh, that part of our culture seems to be lost yeah it's very sad we looked at the earth too and as I said there are certain things that seem to be escaping our grasp one thing that seems to have escaped the grasp of the church today is certain things that seem to be pretty obvious in the plain text of scripture we looked at the earth producing the uh, plants and the animals and God God says let the earth bring them forth and we tend to skip over that and just say, oh, well, you know, God created it. And, and that's right, yeah, God created all these things. But some, some things he creates by making a direct statement to bring it about. And we saw that with the firmament itself. Uh, we see that in day five with the creation of birds and fish or, or what is called the, the birds and fish. Those, those things, God speaks and nothing happens. God does the thing after he says, let there be. Uh, at least in the Masoretic text. And then we, we had that interesting discussion too about the differences in the Septuagint where the Septuagint tends to fill in these extra details. And there's the question about whether the text originally may have had all these things in it. In, in the Septuagint, the sea brings forth the fish. All, all these little lines that repeat over every day of creation seem to be more filled out, more complete in the Septuagint. When you read the Masoretic text, there's some of them are not there. And so we talked about you know, what points might have been made by the authors uh, in their choice to include or not include those particular lines, which was interesting. But yes, yeah, certainly we were getting the sense as we looked at the things created on the earth that, again, it wasn't just material. And these, particularly the, the fish and the birds, as I mentioned, are things that are difficult to grasp right you can't just reach out your hand and, and grab a bird you can't stick your hand in the water and pull out a fish um, and the reason that these things are described as fish and birds and as i mentioned in the episodes of course uh, for those who came in late if you're just catching us now you really need to go back and listen to the earlier episodes uh, we're talking about spiritual entities there and that's why when we get into the text describing the construction of the tabernacle the Fish and birds are absent from all those parallels with creation, but instead we have smoke 
we have incense, we have something that, again, you can't grasp with your hand. So we saw that parallel with these spiritual entities that are described in the text that we thought initially, well, certainly I thought as a child growing up that, you know, we just take this all literally, um, you know, God's just making you know, sea creatures and flying animals, and, and that's that's all that it is. But as we discussed as well, there's elements of creation that we need to consider, not just the material aspects, but what does this say about uh, order in the creation? What does it say about the balance between the natural processes and the the decrees of God that things should work a certain way and the forces that God has also set in place to work against them and to provide limiting factors and get into that whole uh, chaos order dichotomy that pops up every now and then, which comes through in the in the wild beasts and that sort of thing on uh, day six. So I thought that was an interesting part to talk about too and there was the analogy that I gave of a farmhouse and the, the land around the farm representing uh, successive uh, levels of increasingly chaotic systems moving further away from the, the centre and the the parts of the, the farmland being closest to the centre being more ordered and yeah, functioning in a more controlled manner. So, yeah, we had a lot of interesting discussions as we went through and looked at the heavens and the earth, and certainly not everything was uh, as it seemed. But uh, overall, I think the the season's been interesting. It's uh, it's certainly been eye-opening, even for myself, just going through and some of the, the things that I picked up that I, I would never have thought about prior to, to digging in doing this, the study for this season. Had some good times and, and, and really enjoyed doing some of these episodes as well. Like uh, It was great to have uh, my good friend Vaughan Gregory from Grave Forsaken. He came on and did an interview with us, uh, which featured midway through the season. So, yeah, that was great. Also, the discussion I had with uh, Evan Minton, we talked about apologetics and, and that sort of thing. That was cool. And uh, as I really enjoyed those earlier episodes where we uh, demolished the flat earth argument and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, those are some of the highlights for me i really enjoyed that uh, episode that we did on the uh, creation of man where we talked about that stephen king movie uh, maximum overdrive and got into acdc a bit there as well and yeah talked about modern day creation epics so yeah all that stuff was really cool so uh yeah what about you chris what was your favorite this season it was uh quite good to uh talk about stephen king i wasn't expecting that i think he just had his birthday recently actually he's in his 70s yeah i really um i mean for me this has been quite eye-opening as uh, discussed before we uh, started recording i'm uh, not wrestled with such things as you do um but it has been quite eye-opening for me as well and Something that really um, struck home for me was the uh, the serpent seed. Um, I think that was a couple of episodes in the Q and A section. Yeah, it was quite um, just reminded me of of the darkness and how people just lived their life with such cold hearts and blurred vision, um, just because they think they're unworthy or they're they're just so so far from God's grace, which is obviously not true. So, and it's been um, you know I have certainly ramped up my evangelism efforts uh, a bit more in the last couple of years and just been talking to people that normally I wouldn't, you know, people on drugs or homeless or people in poverty or people struggling with this and that. And uh, that seems to be a common theme that people think, oh, I'm too much of a sinner, you know, God will never accept me or I'm too bad, you know, there's no point in me going to church, you know, I'm too dirty, I'll never come. It's that kind of People are distancing themselves from God while yeah. God is not distancing himself from them. Um, so it's actually just quite, um, just reminds me of, of, you know, Paul's words that we fight a spiritual battle. and So that's so important. Um, yeah, thank you for all the work that you've been doing, Tim. And listen, I think it's judging by all the questions that we've been getting. People are really responding um, and receiving all the, the research that you've done with great aplomb and great sensitivity and great curiosity. So that must be quite rewarding for you as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, I, I really do enjoy it. Yeah, it brings me a great deal of pleasure to be able to dig into things that people are genuinely asking about and uh, to help them to uh, perhaps put their mind at rest or learn some cool new stuff, you know, particularly when it makes a difference in someone's life just by 
yeah, either uh, giving them something that they needed to hear that kind of makes sense of everything for them or, uh, yeah, put their heart to rest on a particular issue that was bothering them or something. Absolutely. Um, and it just kind of reminds me of um, Romans 15, verse 4, which is everything that was written in, this, in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And mm. that's one of the, the great goals of uh, scripture, not just to make us more learned individuals, but to actually transform our life. And that's the power of the living word. That, you know, we're not just here trying to gain knowledge, but we're here trying to understand who our creator is. Um, and what a wonderful privilege and responsibility it is, I guess, to have... Um, a relationship with our father who is so gracious in his communication you know it's very difficult to get to know someone who doesn't speak you know but, but we have a god who speaks and we have his words and that provides us great encouragement and hope um that's the ultimate one of the ultimate ends of, of scripture yeah no, it's going to be great to continue and see what turns up and um yeah i'm hoping we get a lot more uh questions submitted by listeners and you know, people who've just come across us perhaps for the first time again there is the contact form on the homepage of the website giantanswers.com you can get on there and submit a question and yeah we've had some really awesome questions one in particular that i remember from uh, going through the through the season about halfway through the season we had a question from Aaron about the significance of the number 12 in the Gospel of Mark, which turned out to be really fascinating because we ended up uh, going from what what's the number 12 all about to how is Mark using uh, the Old Testament to tell us that uh, Jesus is the second Yahweh of the uh, the early uh, Jewish theology, the, the idea that uh, Jesus was God himself in a, a tangible form. Uh, so that was a really cool one. And I also really enjoyed talking about the connection between the Egyptian hieroglyph that we call the Ark and the Nephilim, which uh, Danny Artis back in episode eight. That was really cool. Getting in and, and talking about the connections from ancient Mesopotamia right through Egypt and through some biblical texts, which we probably wouldn't have necessarily associated with this kind of thing. And particularly seeing Nebuchadnezzar described as a bird was interesting uh, as we went through that uh, discussion. So that was cool. Um, we also had a good question way back in episode four where uh, we were talking about the construction of um, megalithic structures and ancient monuments. And I talked about the Temple of Jupiter and how some ancient texts suggested that King Solomon had harnessed the power of demons to build the temple. Uh, and again, that's a that's a speculative one, but interesting nonetheless. And uh, definitely, if you haven't been through all the episodes yet, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them all because every episode we've had some really cool, fascinating stuff. And uh, yeah, it just shows the depth uh, that, that people are getting into the scriptures and the kind of questions that they have. And um, yeah, it really shows people are hungry for, for this kind of content, they're they are looking for answers, and these things are not without application. I mean, sometimes they're just interesting, fascinating stuff, but, I mean, we also get people ask questions about uh, personal matters, and some of those I just address personally, and, and the, I, I don't put them on the show because, you know, it might be someone just looking for a bit of reassurance or, uh, you know, they just want some little thing clarified. So not every question that gets asked will end up on the show because sometimes I just I just talk to those people one-on-one -on -one, um, to help them with a particular issue. You know, if, if it's not something, you know, maybe it's a bit sensitive and not the kind of thing that they want to put on air. Uh, so I do encourage people to, to get in and ask questions and, yeah, whether they uh, make it on the, on the show or not, uh, I'm still going to try and help you out. 
with uh, whatever I can. Yeah, that's, that's some more of the stuff that I've really enjoyed over the course of this season. It's been really rewarding and encouraging. should mention too that there are other Bible texts that talk about creation. Looking at Job chapter 38, uh, if I just read from verses 4 to 11. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. I love that passage, you know. Job sort of gets a dressing down from, from God there. And uh, it just um, it, it makes me wonder, like, how can you, how can you read this and, and not see the, the beautiful poetic nature of the text and understand that it's not supposed to be taken literally? Like, you know, the sea burst out from the womb. I mean, you know, it's not literal, is it? <laughs> right? I mean, when you, when you think about that, and I don't think about it too much, but it, it's just not, it's not supposed to be taken literally. I can't believe people are really hanging on these things, you know, the foundations of the earth. Oh, well, surely if we if we dig down far enough, we're going to find these foundations, aren't we? Like, this is how ancient people talked about order in, in the land, right? This is how they talked about government, law, societal structure. This is how they talked about all those kind of things, how they talked about other people as being chaotic and moving and shifting and changing like the sea and they talked about how their own nation and their own government and their own rulership provided the the kind of order and stability that made their land solid i mean that's the kind of terms that they use and yet you still have these cosmic images woven in through it you know the morning stars the sons of god as it's very clear that the author when he writes like this is combining not only the political landscape of the day, but the the theology as well. And we talked about that earlier on the show as well, that the, the idea being that in the ancient mind, there was no differentiation between those things. Like it's all just part and parcel of the same thing. You don't have separate categories for uh, science, for religion, for mathematics, for astronomy, for <laughs> all these things. It's all... It's just the culture. It's the it's general knowledge. And all we can really do is take this as a poetic form and particularly one in the vein of what they call wisdom literature. So there are certain points being made here to do with the wisdom of God. We've got to interpret these texts in that light. And I think to an extent we should be applying the same hermeneutic to Genesis 1. So another passage that I like about creation is of course John chapter 1 verses 1 to 5 which we should all be well familiar with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it I love that passage it's so it's just endlessly deep and it's very powerful. Yeah, it just it blows my mind to think about it. And uh, I really enjoyed, uh, as I mentioned earlier, having Evan Minton on the program to talk about uh, creation and how we can understand that as modern people. Because he was able to bring out a point about this passage uh, in which he said that the cosmology of John's day in that Greek culture was different to the ancient Israelite cosmology, so the kind of thing that you're reading in Genesis 1. And what that means is when John talks and says all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made, in the context of the Greek culture of the day, in that New Testament period, that is a more materially oriented concern there, where we're moving beyond this order and function sort of language and the, the chaos order dichotomy and now getting into 
the concerns of Greek civilization, where they're starting to ask these questions. What are things made of? What is that up there in the sky? What is that stuff down below the surface of the earth? And they ask these questions and they're beginning to make sense of the, the world around us in that material sense. And so when John talks about creation, that's what he means. This is the, the early form of our modern understanding of creation and talking about how God is ultimately responsible for the physical universe around us. And so I think that was a great reassurance for people who might have been sort of tracking along with the podcast and, and going, well, gee, I hope that we're going to get to the point where where God is ultimately responsible for, for all this material creation because it kind of sounds like it was already here when God showed up or something and I'm not sure how comfortable I am with that. And, that, and that's a reasonable concern because, yeah, the idea that uh, matter pre-existed God or God came in late to the picture uh, does considerable violence to our Christian theology and certainly that's not something that I would uphold. And that's why I wanted to talk to Evan and just sort of bring a little clarity to those matters and I think that that was rewarding and uh, I need to do that from time to time because, uh, you know, guys like Evan can do apologetics. I'm more of a a theology and worldview kind of guy, I suppose. And that uh, segues us nicely into my question. Uh, what's the difference between apologetics and hermeneutics? Because uh, those two words get uh, bandied about a fair bit, I guess, in kind of these intellectual Christian pursuits. And to be honest, I'm not sure if I know the the hard or fast difference between them. And so perhaps you can explain that and where do you see the work of your book and this podcast falling into which or and or both categories? Mm. Yeah, well, certainly uh, in terms of my book, it is a little of column A and a little of column B. So, yeah, if we start with apologetics, we're really talking about giving a defense of the faith. Why do we think it's reasonable for us to believe what we believe? What evidence can we point to to substantiate that belief or at least to show that it's reasonable? Hermeneutics is a bit different because then you're getting into questions more like what are the guiding principles or the presuppositions or the point of view that you're coming from that guides your interpretation of Scripture. And so hermeneutical questions have a lot to do with culture and worldview and certain philosophies of interpretation. So you might have decided that a certain thing is very important to you and so that may guide how you interpret uh, scripture and there's plenty of examples of hermeneutics some badly but I really wanted to bring attention to the fact that if a text in scripture has been preserved it is preserved because it made sense to its audience so to me the value in the biblical text is found in uh, trying to come to terms with what it meant to that first audience and how it applied to them, what they got out of that. Uh, because I don't think that it's coherent to say, well, Moses has written this uh, scroll and he's handed it to me. I can't make hide nor hair of it, but I'll put it away and maybe in three and a half thousand years somebody will pick it up and it will make sense to them. And I'll just make sure that it's kind of grandfathered into my uh, last will and testament that people you know, keep preserving this thing because it's going to be important to somebody else later. Now, I don't think that that's how scripture works. I think that it, it had to make sense to the guy that wrote it. It had to make sense to the audience that it was written to. And it had to have some relevance to the subsequent audiences that were going to pick it up and, uh, and hear from God on particular matters. So I think that an important hermeneutical key, if you like, is to take that perspective and say, right, well, it meant something to the first audience and that's what I want to know first and foremost. And then I want to see what later authors of Scripture were doing with it as well because they are going to make their own points using that uh, Old Testament Scripture and what they do with it will be important too, usually in other ways. And then, of course, 
there's just that little uh, mental hurdle of making sure that we don't read the later interpretation of it back into the earlier one. So we've got to keep those separate and authoritative as well. And uh, so I guess I'm hoping that what we do here in this podcast is going to help people to get a grip on what the first audience of Scripture understood from these texts. And hopefully that is going to yield some fruit because I don't think that the work of God through the Scriptures stops with that first audience. I think that God's Word has an eternal value and and quality that lasts uh, for all time and that people of all ages can learn from and uh, just be to be blessed by. So, uh, yeah, the the aim of this podcast really is to go through and, and set that that worldview so that when we pick up our Bibles, we're we're reading it in that frame of mind rather than the same frame of mind that was, you know, dealing with getting kids off the school and catching the bus on time and you know worrying about what's for lunch. And if we can kind of step out of all our day-to-day concerns and put ourselves in the position of, you know, an ancient Israelite or perhaps a, uh, a first-century Hellenistic Jew and look at Scripture that way, if we can give ourselves the, the discipline of being able to pick it up and read it in light of that context, then I think our Scripture reading is going to be so much more fruitful. It's going to help us get a lot more out of that time that we spend in Bible study. Excellent. Thank you for that uh, clarification. And, uh, yeah, so important. The method and the way and the heart attitude. One final question to round off this very special episode, and perhaps you'd like to uh, to introduce this question from a, a very supportive friend of the show, I believe. Yeah, that's right. We, uh, as I said, we we do get a lot of questions throughout the season, and some of them I've been able to tackle almost immediately because it came up in the subject matter we were going to deal with for the week, and others I had to sort of push back a little bit until it was the right time to address it. I don't like to uh, jump too far ahead of where we are in the text because it makes it very confusing trying to understand things with principles that I haven't sort of laid out yet. I'm now confident that we can talk about certain things that were asked about uh, by several people. Having laid a bit of groundwork for that over the last few episodes, and we didn't do a lot of... uh, Q&A of late, particularly because I was dealing with all the serpent seed stuff. And that in itself was a, a result of a very popular line of questioning that was coming through through the, the Q&A uh, submissions. But in all that, I was contacted by Emily, who is a reader of the book and one of our friends at the Raven Creek Paddle Store. And she had a question, uh, which I've been sitting on for ages, so... Yeah, sorry uh, about keeping you in suspense, Emily, but I thought uh, I've just got to lay a bit of groundwork before I tackle it, and uh, I think we've done that now, so I can talk about this, and it's a bit less confusing, hopefully, if you've been following the show. Uh, I also had Steve ask a question uh, about this too, so they're kind of related, and I thought, well, I'll just throw this in and and tie these together. So Emily said, well, I've been reading Answers to Giant Questions, which has been fantastic. And Tim said something at the very beginning that triggered a question. And she quotes from the book, Satan had borne witness to the creation of all things under heaven. He saw how God had given dominion over the earth to the man, and he wanted it, end quote. So yes, that's, that's a quote from Answers to Giant Questions. Emily says, sometimes it just helps me to flesh it out a little more in my mind if someone else phrases it differently for me. So Adam and Eve were supposed to subdue the earth and make it like the garden. Does that mean that before Adam could subdue the earth outside the garden, Satan had some form of rule over it, or at least parts of it? Or was the earth simply not functional? And that was Adam's task. I know that just seems like a duh question, but 
when Cain says to God that he's worried other people will kill him, it lends itself to implying there was a wildness outside of Eden. So I'm just wondering if Satan already had some form of rule, but he didn't have complete rule yet. Thanks. All right, so that was Emily's question. And uh, yeah, I had another one from Steve about the people that Cain encountered outside the Garden of Eden. So I just thought, well, we can just have a look at this together. Now, a few weeks back, uh, I think it was episode 15, we talked about the Hebrew word Adam, which means mankind, and it's the same word that gets used for the name of the man, Adam. And I mentioned in that episode that the initial mention of Adam, mankind, is outside of the Garden of Eden and is a plural reference that God has made multiple people outside of Eden before there's, I mean, Eden's not even on the table in Genesis 1, right? It's not, it's not even there. So we're finding that all these people, and it says that they're made in the image of God. They're out there. And then later we get into Genesis 2, which, of course, is what our next season is going to be focusing on. And we have this whole Garden of Eden thing and Adam and Eve as characters are introduced. Or are they? That's an, that's an interesting question we're going to look at about the, the usage of these terms. But, yeah, to, to look at the question, what kind of authority did Satan have at this point? Yeah. I should clarify that a lot of people are going to jump up and down and say, what do you mean Satan? It doesn't say Satan, it says the serpent, and perhaps it's not right to equate them. Well, I guess that's the that's the journey of reading scripture and um, particularly living in the culture at the time when, when scripture was being written. You know, because it wasn't until the end of the first century when... John writes the revelation of Jesus Christ and we get to the end of the book of Revelation and John says that the devil, Satan, the old, that old serpent, uh, is, is thrown into the, uh, the lake of fire, right? That's how far we have to go before we get an equivocation between Satan and the serpent. So for the entire period of the Bible being written, the entire Old Testament and everything in the New Testament, all of that is written without anybody making the explicit connection between Satan and the serpent of Genesis 3. Now, it doesn't mean that the serpent isn't Satan because, I mean, John can't say that if it isn't true, but it does mean that people weren't necessarily making that association for that whole time. Uh, so, yeah, that's why we find it uh, absent from a lot of uh, Scripture itself, right? Because theology unfolds gradually over many years, and, yeah, it basically took to the end of the first century to put those pieces together. Uh, again, that doesn't mean it's not true. So we can still talk about Satan being in that position. We just have to acknowledge that the text isn't going to give us that in so many words. You need the entire Bible to get to that point where you can say, oh, that guy at the start, that was Satan. Oh, we take that for granted. I mean, for, for many of us, we never question that. We, we read the serpent and just go, oh, well, yeah, that's the other name for, for Satan. And, um, yeah, that's right, but it's not what was understood by the guy who wrote that. So anyway, did this guy, this serpent, the... Nahash have some kind of authority. Well, if we go to Ezekiel yeah, chapter 28, we will find some interesting references there in the prophecy against the king of Tyre. Yeah, from verse 11 in Ezekiel 28. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. 
on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. All right, so that's a uh, that's an interesting passage there from Ezekiel, which most commentators will say is talking about the Satan figure, the serpent, gives us some indication that Satan may have had some kind of authority because these uh, precious stones that were given, uh, precious stones often represent authority uh, in Scripture. So to see those nine out of 12, uh, it's usually a it's usually 12 stones that get mentioned. We get nine of them there. Uh, people have said, well, this is an indication that Satan had some considerable degree of authority uh, on the earth. But then we also see these precious stones used, for example, on the uh, ephod that the high priest would wear as he would enter sacred space and uh, come into the temple. So another Another use for precious stones uh, is that association with sacred space and the idea of uh, having the authority to be in the presence of God. So this idea of being able to enter and, and go where God is. And we have this language here in verse 14, you are an anointed guardian cherub on the holy mountain of God and in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, that's a bit enigmatic, I realise. Uh, stones of fire is a phrase that we find, uh, particularly in writings of the Second Temple period, it becomes a bit more uh, well-known. Ezekiel's a little earlier. Uh, but the idea of stones of fire there is, this is a descriptive term used to talk about the uh, these high-ranking spiritual entities. Okay, so... Elsewhere, you might see, uh, for example, Job that we mentioned earlier, the uh, the morning stars, the sons of God. So it's this kind of language that we're talking about a divine council here. We're talking about the spiritual entities that God keeps uh, closest in uh, in his midst and who uh, participate in his judgments and to uh, enact those. So, yeah, he was right up there. Does that mean he had some kind of dominion or authority on the earth. That's something we really can't say from the text, I don't think. What we've got is a situation where, and just for argument's sake, I'm going to use the, the term Satan because I think we're most familiar with that and it's just too hard to say. The, the entity that we believe might be alluding to the character that later became known as Satan. <laughs> um, and I'm really just, I'm just not that pedantic about it. Yeah, there's there's nothing really to say that he had authority over land or anything like that. But certainly he had a position of authority and was very close to God. should point out too that verse 15 there in Ezekiel 28 says, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. And we don't have any evidence of unrighteousness found in the serpent, Satan, uh, until the events of Genesis 3. So if there was anything untoward going on before that, it's unattested. We, I don't think there's much to stand on there. That means that for people outside the garden, if Satan had some kind of rule, uh, I think it might have been some sort of connection to his proximity to God and, and some kind of rank or authority 
in the heavenly realm. But as far as dominion on earth, I don't think we can say that. And I think for the people outside of Eden, there's nothing really to suggest that they were under Satan's influence or subject to uh, to his authority. Now, Cain did worry about what would happen to him outside of the garden. So I, th- I think you're right there, Emily, to suggest that there was a certain degree of wildness outside of Eden. Um, I think we can probably bring that back to an earlier discussion about the image of God. Because, uh, as we'll see when we get into Genesis 2 next season, the man that God forms from the earth, God breathes his uh, spirit into this man and he becomes a living being. That is unique to him. That doesn't happen to all the people outside. And I think that Adam's task from that point on is to share what he has and to bring that to the world. And so I think it's natural to say, well, the people outside the garden then, they're acting without the Spirit of God. They're living a life that as yet has not been imbued with meaning and purpose from the divine perspective, right? So they are controlled by the flesh. And, you know, we talk about those evil influences, the the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, we had a perfect world, and the devil didn't necessarily have a hand in it, at least anything uh, as evidenced by the text. So that leaves us with the flesh. And I think it's fair to say that uh, without the Spirit of God uh, active in these image bearers that he has made outside of the garden, that they are at this point living according to the desires of the flesh, and that means that they're not necessarily going to make godly decisions. So perhaps Cain had legitimate fears there. So in a sense, what you're suggesting about the earth not being functional at that point, um, I think that that comes into play because the people outside of the garden were yet to find their purpose in God and, and participating with his spirit as part of their lives. So I can see a, uh, a somewhat chaotic state outside of the garden as people are controlled by fleshly desires. And I think that that was kind of fertile ground then for, for Satan, realising that if he could neutralise Adam and Eve and the authority that they had been given by God, then uh, he could certainly take that authority and he wouldn't have uh, difficulty getting the, the, the humans outside of the garden who were made to bear God's image but are not yet doing it uh, to, to come on his side and perhaps he could influence them to represent himself rather than God. And I think that that's the ultimate aim of, uh, of what our adversary is doing and has always done is to try and get at the hearts of men because satan can't beat god but what he can do is he can influence one person and if he can make himself lord of that person's life then that's one less person that god uh, has on his side and i think that that's been satan's plan all along just try and get hold of each person and take them away from god and that minimizes god's victory because God isn't God if nobody treats him as God. If he's not honoured as God, then being God is worthless. And I think that that's what Satan's after. And that's never going to happen. I mean, I've read the end of the book, uh, as, as I mentioned before. Um, you know, we, we know how it ends. And uh, certainly it's right to give glory to our creator and to live lives that are worthy of the calling we've received to live according to the spirit that he has given us that's that's really where it's at so when we look at the situation uh, in these early chapters in genesis 
Uh, I don't think that we see evidence for Satan having earthly dominion, but it's certainly worth considering that he saw earthly dominion as a means to getting some measure of victory, I, I suppose, or some, some measure of control over humanity uh, in order to minimise uh, God's obvious superiority and, uh, and his victory. So that wraps the uh, formal proceedings for the show, but there's a few things I want to touch on before we leave you for season two, and in particular some special announcements. And I'm very excited about this opportunity to run some competitions for our listeners. Yeah, this is uh, very special indeed. We have a competition, in fact, more than one, competitions with an S, uh, so to celebrate the first season of the show, there is a Grave Forsaken competition. All you have to do to enter is name the title of a Q&A theme music to win a copy of the CD that it comes from. Two winners will be selected at random. Why don't you tell us a bit more about that exciting? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, as a bonus, the first person to name the titles of all five Grave Forsaken songs we've played on the show this season will win a personally signed new copy of Grave Forsaken's classic album from 2008 called Destined for Ascension in CD format. It is old school metal goodness. Indeed. It's not just uh, rusty spanners that are old school metal goodness. It's also music. Grave Forsaken have been around for a long time and they are awesome. Also, to celebrate the anniversary of the Kindle release of the book, the Giant Answers competition, you can submit your best giant-related question for Q&A. The best question wins a copy of the book in paperback. Now, Tim, do you just want to clarify? Because when I think of giant questions, my immediate thing is, you know, how tall was Andre the Giant? But that's not the kind of questions you're after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. So, so yeah, that's our, our second competition, our, our second giveaway. Uh, because, yeah, as as of uh, late September, we are now 12 months since the Kindle release of Answers to Giant Questions hit the shelves. And so, yeah, in uh, honour of that uh, minute piece of trivia, <laughs> I thought, well, let's give away a book. And what I want you to do is send us your uh, giant related question give us uh, give us something we can sink our teeth into something uh, that listeners are gonna find interesting we could just uh, go on and on about the the stuff that we've already touched on in the show like oh you know well uh, how tall was Goliath or things like that but you know I want to move away from uh, this sort of fixation on ha- how big the giants were, because I know that uh, that that seems to occupy a lot of space in people's minds. But there's there's just so much more depth to all this. And while we're creeping through these early chapters of Genesis, we're not spending a lot of time digging into all these texts, like you know, when you get into Numbers and uh, Deuteronomy and Joshua and and all these other uh, books in the in the Old Testament, where there's a lot of stuff written about the giants, um, we're not really hitting that in the in the core material in the podcast. So, if you've got questions about that stuff, send them in because uh, I really want to talk about it. But I'm not going to just kind of pull these things out for my own sake. Like, if you've got a question, I want to hear it. I want to help you get some clarity, learn some things. And, yeah, hopefully enjoy the the conversation that comes out of it. So send us your question, and the way you do it, go to giantanswers.com, 
on the homepage of the website, there is a contact form. You can get on there, submit your response. This is how you enter these competitions, okay? So use the contact form, uh, whether you're entering the Grave Forsaken competition or the Giant Answers competition, doesn't matter. Jump on that form. Make sure you put your name and your mailing address, okay? We're not going to uh, announce your address or anything, but we will announce your winning entry and we need your address so we can send you your prize. So don't forget that. Make sure you put your question in or answer the uh, questions for the, the Grave Forsaken competition. So again, for the, for the Grave Forsaken competition, we want you to name the title of the Q&A theme music to win a copy of the CD that that comes from. We'll be giving away two copies of the CD. And as a bonus, if you can name all five Grave Forsaken songs that we have played on the show this season, we will send you a personally signed new copy of Destined for Ascension on CD. Uh, brand new from 2008. That's a real classic. And uh, that's, a, that's a great prize. So there's that. And the Giant Answers competition, which, of course, uh, you enter by sending us a Q&A question. And the winner will receive a paperback copy of Answers to Giant Questions for that. Some pretty exciting opportunities there to get some material for your ears or material for your eyes. And both of them will benefit your brain. So winners okay. will be announced. <laughs> winners will be announced in our first episode of season two, which coincidentally will be a Halloween special. But don't be alarmed. We're not going to, you know, it's not going to be too scary. Uh, so that's right. The podcast will return at the end of October. The only thing scary will be our jokes. The second season will be focused on Genesis Chapter 2 and will feature some special guest appearances, which will be announced when we return from the break on our Halloween special. Yeah, so don't forget to tune in and catch Season 2 if you subscribe now you won't miss it when we return. And that means you won't miss some haunting tales told by yours truly about some paranormal encounters that I've experienced personally, including one that involved my good mate and co-host here and another that occurred recently in connection with my work on this podcast. Sounds pretty awesome, like we should listen to them over a campfire. Uh, but also while we're on a break here on this show, there's still plenty of other cool stuff going on check out the other awesome podcasts at raven creek there is something for everyone including change my mind with luke t harrington or attending our nets with joshua sherman love movies you can drive the commentaries with joe Zara goza as well and for insightful bible study the flagship show faith and other oddities with nathan underwood and emily dixon and if you're still greedy and if that wasn't enough there's heaps more coming soon so stick around and find out what's coming to ravencreeksc.com. And in case you're interested in supporting the people who make this podcast possible, and that's not me and Chris, by the way, please consider getting on Patreon and supporting the Raven Creek Social Club. The good folks who run that whole enterprise are actually supporting Chris and I by hosting our podcast. So if you appreciate that, please slip them a few bucks. And there are some perks to that as well. So it's not a one-way street. You get some cool stuff in return, including unique and bespoke merchandise. And you can also get added to the exclusive Raven Creek Paddle Store, which is a private Facebook group where you can chat with me and the host of the other shows and some really great knowledgeable people who are handpicked to help you get to know the Word of God better and deepen your relationship with Christ and His church. I've certainly found that valuable and I'm sure you will too. It's a great community, and we're very thankful to be a part of it. Now, Tim, you mentioned some stuff coming up in Season 2, including special guests and, of course, our Halloween special. But what else are we going to be talking about in Season 2? Ooh, Season 2. We are going in search of the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Where was it? That is going to be a very mm. interesting episode it might blow out to a couple episodes i don't know it's going to be a big one we're definitely going to be yeah looking into some some archaeology some uh, geology uh and some interesting textual analysis to uh 
try and get their heads around that particular riddle that has been puzzling people for thousands of years now. Uh, we're also going to look at Adam's experience of being torn in half by God in his sleep and whether or not that counts as an alien abduction involving experimentation on uh, Adam's body. We're going to find out what uh, being made of dust really means. I knew it. It always comes back to aliens. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. Stick around for season two coming at the end of October. Bye for now. It's time to wrap up today's episode, but if you want more, don't forget to get yourself a copy of Answers to Giant Questions. We're asking readers to please leave a review of the book on Amazon or Goodreads to help it become more visible in search results. Even if you just give it stars, that'll help, but a full review is certainly really appreciated. Please also leave a review of this podcast wherever you found us so that new listeners can find us here on the show. In the future, we want to be talking about your stories as well, not just our own. So if you have had a particular paranormal or spiritual experience, we want to hear from you. And we're also looking for your testimonies about how you have found the content and the answers to giant questions to be helpful and or useful. Of course, this podcast comes out every week, but you want to make sure you never miss an episode. So if you haven't already subscribed, do that now and you'll get notified when each new episode drops. That's all we have time for today. We'll catch you next time on the Answers to Giant Questions podcast. Thank you for listening to the Answers to Giant Questions podcast, a production of the Raven Creek Social Club. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment to rate or review the show. Music supplied under copyright by Grave Forsaken, graveforsaken.com. You can get the book Answers to Giant Questions by TJ Stedman on Amazon in paperback and Kindle format. Check out the other podcasts at ravencreeksc.com and go to giantanswers.com for more Answers to Giant Questions. Read the blog, catch us on the socials. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about the show. Send us your giant questions and stay tuned to this podcast to get answers. We'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe. God bless.